All right, we're going to um, go ahead and get started. And if you've got a question, just pop your hand in the air. I will try and get you as in the order I see them. But um, we, they can stay as much as we got about just a little over 15 minutes. Okay? <laughs> All right. Great. We only got five before we got to go open up the ice cream shop. But uh, <laughs> my question, I already addressed, Monica, a little bit on it, prayer report, some thoughts on it. Um, we actually uh, love to model ourselves after you two and really appreciate um, what you gave us today. It's, it really is helpful. Um, one question I have that I was thinking about was, at this age, for our two kids, they come home from school, and they're bringing on some maybe not-so-good uh, habits, ethics, you know, uh, probably from other you know, families. Do you, what do you do with, that, with your child, and what do you try to do within your household to either avoid that child or teach, that, teach your kid what is not appropriate that's right. being said or washed at home at another family's household? You know, be it violence, bad words, behaviors. Okay. You want to start? Well, I was, he's, he gave me a heads up on it. So let me answer that on two levels. One is that it's just general riffraff of being kids and being on the playground and language they, the other child has heard from their parents or the teenage brother or sister, whatever. So those are kind of things that you kind of sit down with them. Age appropriate, you see the age of his kids. Um, age appropriate conversations. In other words, they say you get a child for one minute per year. So if you can kind of remember in your lectures and all that to keep them appropriate to the age. So you look at his, his child, he's young. So if you can kind of take the time, the opportunity, because it's going to come out of his mouth or his behavior. Stop the behavior, sit down eye to eye and say, we don't talk like that in our house. We do not da-da-da-da-da. And you'll go over and over and over. You'll be a recording. Just get ready for that, okay? Because just like I told the story of what they do in the classroom and then they throw a fit for their parent, same thing. You can teach them that this is of the world and these are people who don't know better or don't choose better and this is what our home is going to be like. However, he went on and told the story and what's happening is that the family that he's talking about is letting that age watch adult movies, and they're coming home with language and situations and that. So his question is, do you ever separate friendships? And I have to say, yes. yeah, <laughs> we yes. ended up doing that, all three kids. We did um, a separation. We had to include the teacher in it. We had to tell the teacher why. He asked me, do you go to the parent? Well, as a teacher, we had to say to students um, and to the parents, um, can I just ask you if it's normal in your home or here that you do such and such or your child is allowed to speak? And if they say, oh, yeah, kids will be kids, poop, you know, cut off trying to work with that direction. And it's not going to work because your parenting value systems are so different. You could say, well, we don't, and so we're going to ask for a little space on the playground and stuff between our children, but we just want you to know about it. Because that's, we feel that's inappropriate for the age. That's always a good thing to say. Almost all the way up, you can say, ooh, that's not appropriate for that age. <laughs> and that, that's for people who have just no values or things. But we did have to include, um, I could think of all three situations, and I said to him, um, I'll tell you what, you need to choose different friends for your breaks, recesses between class for high school people. You need to choose to take a break from that, from that friendship because 
that is really bringing out the worst in you. And it's offensive to our mom and, da- mom and I. Because you are God to them. I don't care. You are their hero. And so if you look like you're looking out for them, kids see that as a security safety thing. Now, when they get older, you can't always, but you can't, you can't always separate them in high school from sitting with, being with. It can almost throw kids into wanting to be with them more. Right. Can but, I speak yeah, into that? Yeah, you speak into that. That would be good. Somewhere in late grade school, early junior high, you have to switch from, like when your kids are your age, mm-hmm. you're going to say to them, this is not the kind of home that we're choosing to have and that behavior is not okay. And so then you go deal with it on a parent level and, and don't worry if the parents don't like you, okay? Because teaching your children is more important than have somebody else's parents like you, okay? Don't be mean to them, but they may not go, oh, yeah, I can see you're way better than us. So we're, I yeah. mean, it's probably not going to be a, a fun conversation. Mm-mm. But when your kids get to be in junior high, then you have to say to them, do you like your behavior when you're around this person? Is this the kind of person you really want to become? The parent's saying it to the child. Yeah, you're saying it to your children. Yeah, but you're saying it as a teenager, the parent to the Right, teenager. yes. Mm-hmm. The parent says that to the teen, mm-hmm. and usually the teen will go, well, parts of it, no. Okay. Then here's the deal. Either you learn how to not take on that behavior from that, from that student, okay? Or you need to put distance in that relationship, okay? But you just got to speak up front and frankly, but it starts with a question instead of an observation, mm-hmm. okay? And I was going to say that, um, you know, that if you're doing your homework from the one to five stage up, you'd be surprised how a little bit of that does happen. Once in a while, right. they'll bump into somebody, but they kind of find that behavior offensive, they can see that trouble's coming, and they kind of do that. If you're if you're listening to us and you have a teen and Christianity's new to your family and all that, it's it's a great adult to almost adult conversation about. Let me tell you in life, I had a friend who I was good friends with and did this kind of thing and and show them how life tanked. That's one of the things we had to skip over was what we did with them as teens. Is you spend a lot more time. Not gossiping, using what is right in front of you as object lessons. And that's, that's the kind of conversation I would have by the time they're teens. It's just that one-on-one. Okay. Questions? All right, we got a question. Okay. Um, you, you mentioned first-time obedience. And <laughs> we're struggling with that and also struggling with um, listening the first time. And so how specifically did you address that with your, your kids, or how could we address it with our kids? Yeah, they that listen eventually. Over the pe- that needs they to listen eventually. The eventually yeah. When you repeat it a couple times. Yeah. yeah. But how do you get that first time, and first time obedience? Okay. Um, let me just tell you that before I was married, I saw an illustration at college that absolutely took me to that spot instantly, all the way through. We were coming out of, of, a, of, a, of a classroom situation over by a road, and one of the professors, two kids, had met them with the mother, and they were running, and the mother said, stop, stop, because he was just running full bore for the road, full bore. And the mother kept yelling, stop, stop, stop. And the child didn't stop until the car that came 
and the brakes scared him to death. Actually, and, the child ran into the side of the car. Yeah, and but got that, hit with the door handle right here as she ran into the side of the car. But it, it, I mean, it wasn't a major, major thing. But it could have been. Oh, my word, it could have been. So you know, I just went, "Oh my word, what is it?" And then, then I became very aware of watching other parents who are parents going, "Stop right now! One, two, three. And the kid always did it by three. And I thought, well, why can't that be one? I mean, that can be, hello? Now, this is where your society thinks this is pretty militant. But the truth of it is, who's, who's um, good am I looking out for? It's the worst situation your kids could get in, that you need them to understand first obedience. It's just not out in the street. It's that you are establishing your authority. So... There's two or three ways to look at it. When they're really little, you know, we, my mother-in-law taught me, you know, it's a good, a good sump on the thigh gets attention. <laughs> you know, it's just like, whoop. I said now. And we back up and have a sit down on a stool so they can think right now. Oh, what did that little sting? And I'm now sitting on a chair. That was not my plan. So they, <laughs> they stop and they think about it. You can um, talk to them just a tiny bit. Don't lecture too much at this age. But definitely say, you will obey me when I say. So slowly take attention. It's like potty training. You, it's, who does the potty training first? Parent or kid? Parent. Yep. You've got your clock set. Okay, it's been eight minutes. Here we go. You know, and they say, you know, the authorities now say it's about a weekend of that diligence, and you can almost get them there. That's kind of how this is. It runs in cycles. Remember parenting, good kid behavior, enjoy it while it's there. It's going to cycle. It comes back. (laughs) And then, then you focus and go back on that, retraining. But that's true with Ron teaching me the Internet. He tells me how to do it. I do it two times. Then it gets set aside, and I go, help. And he goes, um, I think I taught you this. I know, but I can't remember. Can you remember that illustration? So use the focus. Um, I didn't bring up on purpose this whole thing of spanking, but you do know that God says, if you spare a spanking, you spoil a child. That does not mean entitle a child always. That just means their behavior might go south. Lisa was not one of those kids, but Anthony and Angela were one that if we hadn't used it, it had gone south. Yeah, um, you're the opposite with your brother. You're, yeah, you, that's true. He got the most. He got enough spankings for his other two brothers together. Yeah, that's true. And this is what produced. <laughs> that is true. Um, I, I would like to give you guys just two principles that Monica's giving you a lot of illustrations of. Number one, if a child is old enough to choose the behavior, mm-hmm. you should hold them accountable for it. Mm-hmm. Okay? Correlated along with that. If you can train a child to listen the third time, you can train them to listen the first time. Mm-hmm. It's just the consequences that you put on the third time you have to put on the first time. Mm-hmm. Which basically means you have to go through three days of hell. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to go through three days of hell, you'll get a childhood of heaven on the other end of that. Mm-hmm. And um, the easiest way I can say it to you is never give your child an empty command. Never say to your child, okay, I want you to go over there. And if they don't go over there, there's no consequences. You're just sort of hoping that they will. 
Don't ever or give you get a, busy don't, and you don't right, right. Don't ever give a command that you're not willing to back up with full and complete consequences the first time. Yeah. And those are the three days of hell because your children will be used to not having to do that the first time, right? And they're going to go, whoa, what happened? <laughs> My whole world changed. I've never had to obey like this before, right? So what you, and let me tell you why it's so important to teach first-time obedience. Yes, so they don't run out in front of a car. But you want your children to be able to focus their attention. And obedience forces them to interrupt what they were doing and want to do to focus on something they need to do. And that's a critical skill for them by the time they get into education. Mm -hmm. There's a second thing that you want to teach your children, and that is the concept of compliance. And you don't want a child that has no will. You want a child that knows how to take their will and direct it. So you're not trying to break their will. You're trying to teach them how to point their will in the right direction. Obedience teaches a child how to take their will and point it in the right direction. And if you don't get that done by the time they're five, they will struggle focusing for the rest of their life. Okay. And um, for those who are um, teenage kids, take from, from birth to teenage, when child, a child goes against your command or does something they shouldn't have done, don't go on as life normal. Does that make sense? Don't, don't just assume, oh, well, that's the way kids are or mm. that's the way a teen is. If it's going against your value system, stop and back up that truck or just don't let life go on as normal. In other words, um, I, you can just see a teenager doing something, you know, just a bad choice. And, and you just find out about it and don't ever really kind of a, maybe a little bit address it they're just going to keep doing that behavior. So even in high school, you, they say, oh, I've got to go study with my friends. Um, nope, you don't. No, you don't. Oh, yeah, I'm part of a study team. Yeah, so you shouldn't have cho- chose that. So I always told the kids, whatever age, hey, um, we're having this tough discussion or we're having this restriction, we're having this consequence because of something you chose to do. And that's what God, and use those words a lot, you chose to do this, so that makes me do this. If you start putting those pieces of the puzzle together, and Ron, if you don't mind, one of the questions of somebody that had to leave was that this doesn't feel like it works for people with special needs kids. And just from being a teacher, being around teachers, no. It isn't exactly, but I did make a statement that as you look for mentors and you look for people and you look for answers, remember that I even said not one thing works on every child. In our home, we had three different kinds of discipline. But even special needs children, even maybe more, need a consistent working and a consistency. The home needs to be calmer. The home needs to have more routine. I mean, I just know that they, a lot of those special needs kids in my class, they just liked it because it was calm and, and I would, you know, we would sing a lot and there was music around a lot. It calmed them down. So there, it just does, you just can't throw everything out and say, this is just, you, you would understand if it was my kid, if it was your kid. No, so. the same principles apply. Mm-hmm. But I do absolutely agree with her in that if you have a special needs child, calm always helps routine yep okay so uh we're gonna take one more because we've got about four minutes left 
And then I just want to remind everybody, we're actually going to, we're recording this. We will put all three together in a podcast and put it up oh. on the website So because it's a lot of information. So you can listen and absorb it again. So we'll have all three services of Q&A uh, okay. together on a podcast you can catch probably okay. by tomorrow. Okay, this uh, question is directed at you, Ron. Okay. So um, when you're, especially with young children, um, so mine are both under the age of five, when you're asking them to do something or telling them to do something, um, first of all, do you ever ask them to do something? Do you tell them to do something? And how do you use, as a, as a father, how do you use your voice? Um, oh, okay. Because, you know, I, I'm sort of trying to figure Because women out. see guys as harsher. Yeah. Yeah, especially for those and ages. I'll just give you the background. I came from a pretty uh, fairly harsh, unhealthy home mm-hmm. with sure. a father who was far too capricious. Okay. Big picture. If you're not willing to play with your kids and, and be physically mm-hmm. touching them appropriately... For me, it was down on the floor, laughing with them, tickling them, Mm -hmm. chasing them around the house, holding them on my lap, doing crazy fun stuff with them, and in some ways being like the fourth child in our house. Which is hard on the wife. Okay. But necessary for what you're asking. And by the way, I do that same thing with my grandkids. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I'm doing is I'm building relationship. I'm building relationship. I'm building relationship. So that when I give them a command, they actually want to please me because I'm, I'm their buddy. I'm their friend. Okay? So now there are times when you have to exert some male authority. I can remember when our kids were your kid's age and I would walk in the house and I could tell that Monica had been with the kids all day long and her patience was tested to the very end and... And they were pushing her buttons. I can remember walking in the living room and saying, all three of you on the couch right now. There was just, no, and there I was said no it just, one, two, three. <laughs> I said it just exactly like that, no louder, but I said it with that intensity. All three of you on the couch right now. And they knew, oh boy. Okay. And because, and then before I would actually deal with their behavior in terms of what they did that was wrong, I addressed how they were treating Monica. Okay, we could get to, I would say to them, I'm sitting here, I'm watching you do things that your mother does not want you to do, and you're doing it on purpose, and you are irritating her, and that is not going to happen in this house. You will not treat your mother that way. Just exactly like I'm saying it to you. And, and you look them right in the eye. Because there's an intensity when you look a child in the eye. And if they start looking at us, I say, no, you look at me when I'm mm-hmm. talking to you. Mm-hmm. Because it sort of burns it into their soul. You don't have to yell. You don't have to scream. In fact, it works better if you don't. Okay? And then they know, oh boy, everything has to change now. And then I would go to, now let's talk about what you were doing. Okay, and so that's how I would reinforce what she was doing, um, but but you have to do it in the context of you're the guy who plays with them, loves on them, tickles with them, does all the fun stuff, so that when you have to exercise that authority, they they don't think that the house is going to fall down, and they're not actually afraid for their safety. 
but they also know this is the end of that road. Does that make sense to you, Andy? As an observer of him doing that, I would say that when the offense was large, I mean large, he would dismiss the meeting. He would always touch them somehow. If it was not as much or they were younger, he would he would hold them. I've seen him even do this with the grandkids. He'll hold them, and there'll be a little soft tickle, you know, not like we're going to chase around the house like was normal. But, you know, there was a little tickle. So that physical contact reestablishes that, wow, you're still my dad. And if they would start to go want to go back into that tickle mode, laugh, fun, because let's get off this bad subject. He would keep it there just a little bit. He'd hold it back. He'd say, you know, let's do that later. But right now, let's think about what we talked about. And then they'd split ways. So he wanted to keep that continuity connection there. Would you say? Yeah. That's what observer no. mm-hmm. is looked at. Yeah. That, by the way, is how you can be a man in your home, which mm-hmm. is really, really, really important. There are things. My, boy, I tell you, my heart goes out to people who are single parents because I think of the things that Monica added to our home that I never would have thought of. And by the way, I didn't say it this morning. I intended to. When it comes to dealing with preschool children and, and early elementary age children, I've never met anyone in my life who's better at it than Monica. Wow. And that's true. Just absolutely, unbelievably good. Um, and I can't imagine having to try to do that as a single dad. Um, Let's hope I don't fall off that pedestal, huh? <laughs> you're, up there, you're up there pretty tight. Thank you, guys. Yep. We appreciate it. All right, well, I'll start right here with Anna. I think this feels like stump your pastor. What do you think? <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway. Okay, um, I just was wondering if you have any observations or thoughts on grandparenting. That's interesting she asked. Yes. So while you're thinking, I'll talk. How's that? (laughs) You think of the real answer. Uh, I'm used to that role. (laughs) So you know how he said we all get along in in our family and things, you know, been really nice. The kids come back to us. However... um, the in-laws that you're sharing those grandkids with don't always appreciate, I think you don't appreciate each other sometimes, you know, that one is very different than yours, and and, uh, and we learned that, um, you know, with our son being in, in Hawaii, we just never see those kids. I mean, if we get to see them once a year, we're thrilled. We think that's a special year. So, you know what, it, the way we treat those grandkids is really different than how we work with Eris and Lisa's kids who we live across the driveway from, because we get to see all those stages, and we get to talk to them about what their goals are for their children and how they're working them. So we want to support them in community. Um, But I do know, personally, since I'm more the talker, and and I really, um, you know, when they ask you, what do you do that feeds you? Being with those three children across the driveway is feeding to me. It, It feels myself like petting a cat for me. You know, I just love it. So, you know, it's really different, you know, between people and kids. But I've really realized, be careful, you know, be careful of what you say and where you intercept and even have a conversation with the parents. How much do you want me to play in that role? That's what I have to do with my Hawaiian, with Anthony and Siana. How much do you want us involved? We usually wait till they ask us. And then when we've had the last few times we've been, we've been responsible for the whole week for them. So we've just gone back to a little, like, classroom gentle 
nudging, no huge instruction, more instruction by talking about something, you know, and putting it in the conversation. With them, if we know the children are doing something that their parents are really trying, and we're an extra set of support, then we go forward on that. And um, yeah, I would, yeah, I would say um, our role as grandparents is to find out what those values are that our children have chosen for their children, and rather than impose our five on them, to find out what's important to them and how they want to work with their children, and then we bring how we work with their children in line with how they're working with their children. Because the last thing you want to do as grandparents is say, I know your parents do it this way, but at Grandma's house, you get to do this. We have... (laughs) That's well, just I, wrong. I'm sure we violate a little bit, but no, I mean, no. well, <laughs> little but that's, ju- that's that, just wrong. No, Our is job wrong. is to reinforce what mm-hmm. they're doing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing that we had to clear up because we have three grandkids that live right across the driveway from us is what do you do with a grandchild who is talking back to you as their grandparent, but their parent is here? And it took us a while to get on the same page because I was thinking. This is your child. Your child is speaking disrespectfully to me. You should be correcting your child. They were thinking the child is speaking disrespectfully to you. You should be correcting the child. And so we just sit down and just had a little talk about that and said, okay, what makes the most sense? And we said, okay, if you're present and you're their parent, you need to step in and take control because the child really is underneath your jurisdiction. If you're gone and they speak disrespectfully to me, yeah, we'll take care of that. So you just work through little things like that. Does that answer it, Ann? Mm. <laughs> yeah, there's no manual and experienced dummy for that one either, you know? <laughs> sure. Oh, I, th- I think that's great, and I think maybe one of the things you're running up against, we, we are blessed in that we have two families that have grandchildren, and both of them wanted to raise their children similarly to the way we raised them. So there's not this greatly divergent, okay, at your house you can run around and throw things and yell and scream and do whatever you want, but when you come to Grandma and Grandpa's house, you can't do that. Yeah, I think, yes, you, you should teach them that. We just never had to deal with that dynamic. And I think what yeah what she's saying you would translate it to even if a friend of a of a kid comes Absolutely. over it's your house you set the rules for your house exactly yeah so yep. like you're, you're just uh, okay my question has um, has to do with um, what happens if say you have you're going to go trick or treating um, and it's either friends or family. And they come dressed up like a witch or dressed up like the devil. Um, how do you handle that? Because that's not acceptable in our household. Um, and also, um, how do you deal with other people that you know that are Christians and they're watching shows that are offensive, either... To your no, values. To, to my values, yes. Mm-hmm. Our values, our biblical values. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start? You take it. I'll start. Okay. 
Uh, first of all, everybody has to deal with that. And so you, you have to walk a tightrope between not saying bad things about those people because you don't, you don't want to make your kids gossip or judgmental, okay? But you have to speak the truth, okay? So if you take the trick-or-treating thing, if our kids are going to go trick-or-treating and somebody comes dressed up as a, as a witch or a devil, um, I'm not going to say no, we're not going to go trick-or-treating with them. We go trick-or-treating, and then usually our kids would ask, is that okay? Right? We would say, no, we don't choose to do that in our family, and here's why. But, Dad, they do that, and they're Christians. I know. They have to pray and receive direction from God and so forth, and not every family does it the same, okay? But these are the values we're choosing in our family, and here's why we're choosing them, okay? Um, because that teaches them also the concept of you can actually disagree and still be friends, okay? Now, if the values are too far out there, okay, let's just say that you're allowing your child to go to someone's house and they're letting them watch what you deem to be inappropriate movies, okay? That's when you go to the parents and say, hey, can we agree on something? You know, I want my daughter to be able to come to your home and so forth. But we have certain standard about, about movies that we watch. And I'd like to ask you, when my daughter's in your home, to abide by this standard. I'm not saying you have to impose that on your family, but when my daughter's in your home. This is, this is why, and if they say no, in our home we're going to do whatever we want, then you have a choice to make about whether you let your daughter go there. I would not allow my daughter to go there. Because I'm, I would not allow my child to be taught rebellion, okay? And, and I'm not going to put them in it. There's a reason I don't want them to watch that. That reason doesn't change because they're in somebody else's house. So, yeah. I'd like to add something um, that we didn't get to handle in the big group. <clears throat> Last night, Ron and I watched a episode from um, Katie Cork on escaping religious... They, she was actually having uh, four people who have literally gotten out of um, oppressive clan it's or religion. Ultra-controlling ultra controlling religions. religions. Yeah. And we were both fascinated with it. And one of the things that we came out of our homes really feeling is that our homes were um, really drew, uh, drew, uh, drew some religious boundaries, clear. Now, I know we have to do some. But what happened in both of our religious backgrounds is that people went out here and this is who's in and this is who's out. And I just, I'll tell you, if you can't feel that we don't have that at New Life, we failed somewhere. But that's one thing people usually say they like about it. We teach good biblical principles, but we don't out somebody because they see something different. And I goodness, there's nothing as, as controversial as Halloween. That one people are all over the board about. And movies. I'm blown away by what some people allow their children to watch at certain ages. So there is a huge diversity. The problem is what the one girl said. The others were very cultish, the other religions. One girl came from a main denomination that has been actually on the news. She's, it's actually been on for their radical beliefs. And Katie said, how is it that people turn out like that, where they're hateful, and anybody that doesn't agree with them, they, you know, they targeted them. And Ron and I both sat there and listened to that. And that is 
a fine line to show why you have a value that you have and how you've come to that value. And yet we are not going to judge others who do not agree. Because there's a family that lost a daughter at 16, the one on stage. She walked out of that. Because she could see through the reasoning of that. And her spirit said, I don't want to be in something that those lines have been so... It wasn't, it wasn't that, that she didn't agree with her parents' values particularly. It was the way they were handling it. And you do not want your child to come out of a God that is open-armed and loving and accepting and teach your children that religion fits in a box this big. Does that make sense? Have I said that good? Yeah, yeah. Clear? Yeah. Yeah. You want to be really careful. So when you say that to the people around you or to your children especially, you know, be really... Um, Teach them that, you know, people are growing in Christ. And we have grown to the place where we kind of understand we need a distinction between this kind of movie and that kind of movie or this kind of behavior, that kind of behavior. That's the way we feel because we have grown in Christ, that we want to be closer to him, not be closer and just dabble in the world. And, you know, obviously you have children that can get that. You have to make that age appropriate. But this is about the age, you know, 8, 9, 10, that they start really seeing those differences. So yeah. you want to be careful. Yeah, I would add just one other thing. It's okay, in fact, it's a good thing to teach your family, including your children, that we don't do everything like everybody else does. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because we want our family to be outstanding. Okay? Because the kids, well, they just want to do what everybody else does. And they're not actually thinking about results, okay? That's why they have parents. And so if you want different results from what everybody else is getting, you have to build a different family from the family everybody else is is building. So you don't say, our way is better, their way stinks. (laughs) What you're saying is, okay, these are values that we choose in our family. We, We recognize that not everybody chooses these, but we think these are best for us and they're best for you. So this is what we're going to do in our family. And... And, and don't apologize for that. That's yeah. what I would say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Any electronics. Yeah. Anything like that. Yeah. Good morning. Can you hey. hey, hey. <laughs> well, I had a comment about uh, one thing with the parents and the grandparents. And I had just asked Derek, I said, so when you go to Grammy and Papa's and when you're at our house, is it the same? He says, yeah, pretty much, except at Grammy and Papa's, I get reverse dinner. He gets dessert first. <laughs> so, and that's okay. Yeah, so that's that is okay. Yeah. yeah. So my question is, um, if you're um, in a relationship with your wife and you have a child and one of you is um, big on grace and the other is a big on accountability, and you're working together to try to come up with a balance. Um, for Lenore and I, we often see that um, when one does that, we offer more of what we feel our child is missing mm-hmm. and because you know that's how God wired us, and conversely, the other way around. Yeah. So as we work through that together as parents, um, we've tried to you know, step aside together and talk through that, mm-hmm. and um, that hasn't been working. So, um, can you speak into yeah. that a little bit? I, I want to draw a chart. Okay. <laughs> All right. 
Yeah, sure. Okay. This, by the way, works on almost anything where there are natural leanings this way and natural leanings that way. Okay? So, internally, we all recognize the concept of balance. All right? So, if this is our balance point right here, and I feel like the person that I'm, I'm married to is, is over here, okay, then in order to bring balance to my child's life, I'm more naturally going to put myself over here, okay? So what happens is my mate who naturally lines up over here, by the way, we all think when we're here, we're actually here. Does everybody understand? We actually think we're here, and we see our mate clear over here. So the deal is, we think, oh my goodness, my mate's over here. i got to get further over here, or we're going to warp our kid. So the longer you work at parenting, the more one of you is going this direction, and the more the other one goes that direction, and you just get further and further and further and further apart. Okay. The only way you can turn that around is the person that's over here has to intentionally make a move this way. And the person that's over here has to intentionally make a move this way, which means this person that tends to be more accountable kind of person, they have to begin to move intentionally more toward grace. And they think they're here, and they actually feel like they're moving this way. Mm-hmm. Okay? All right, And this person who tends more toward grace needs to intentionally move this way even though they think they're here and they think they're, they're moving this way. And as the two of you will work at, work at that, which means that, you know, in our case, which one of you, which one do you think Monica and I tended to be like? Grace. Yeah. So you think I was a, a grace and she was accountability? Of course, right? (laughs) Of course. Okay? So what that meant was I had to move more toward accountability and Monica had to move more toward grace. And when we worked at that, we actually parented very similarly even though our personalities are worlds apart. Okay? But, But until we came to that conclusion... You know, the the more lenient I would be, the more Monica would be. Somebody has to ride herd on this gang, right? <laughs> right? And the more she rode herd on the gang, the more I would go, we're going to warp our kids. This, you know, somebody has to be the voice of kindness and grace and so forth. And so, the, yeah, there were times when we were going in opposite directions, but by God's grace, we would sit down and discuss that and realize, okay, no. I need to step up and take and hold the kids much more accountable. And if I would do that, then Monica could relax and she could move more toward grace. Somebody has to take the first step. And I can tell you, most often, it has to be the person who tends toward grace has to begin to step up to the plate and make a move toward accountability. I think that's because it's you. Because I would have said the opposite. Okay. I would have said the opposite. Because, well, because, you know, you, you know, the accountable person is more the dogmatic, you know, this needs to have a pattern and this needs to be done just this way. Which I think what happens to couples, and by the way, guys, this is not unique. 
You remember opposites attract? That's why you end up getting married to somebody that's opposite. So um, you kind of have to remind each other. That's the reason we like each other is because we do balance out each other. It's the child in the middle or the money in the middle or whatever mm, that, that makes great. that, you know, come to a head. So what I realized was two or three things. That was one of my aha moments that my best effort, like when I do lose control and accountability and Ron seems to be taking over this situation in grace, how dare him, you know, that what I was realizing is that God takes the two of us and even together we're only making about a 2% difference. It's God that will even that out. I just had to be careful I wasn't damaging the kids. Now, and that can happen on Grace Or. You know that, right, you guys? Sure. It can happen. You can Either one can really damage a child. So I realized, you know what we're doing? We're so busy focusing on how the other person's doing parenting, we've lost track of the child. So I thought, wow, since I am more of a, you know, disciplinarian, listen, you need to just get in line and we won't have these situations. And Ron's more the process person. And that's why we said at 12, I don't know if we did this this hour, but the first hour we said, you know, by 12, kids really need their dads to step in. And we need to step back a little bit. Because God just gives men and that whole male brain a whole different approach. And we are made, that's why God gives women more words per day, because we are nurturing, working, nurturing, working. And so as they get older, we need to back down, back off as women and let the men do it. But then for me, it was, okay, pull back on the being dogmatic. So, or pull toward you. So mm-hmm. either way you want to look at it, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's really important that you come to that. And that's why it's good for both to be on the same. We got to be with God on this. You know, you got to. Yeah. The second half of that. Yes. There's some other hands here. How do we get together to strategize? And get on we, we did that never in front of the kids. We always did that apart from the children. And no matter if I thought Monica was being too uh, dogmatic with the kids, whatever she had said to them, I backed up in that moment of time. Okay? So you show unity. That's right. And even if she thought I was being too gracious to the kids... That was fine. We could discuss that later and would discuss it later. And one of the things that we came to understand, there was another dynamic with us. Monica has a quicker trigger than I do. So when you take a dogmatic person and you give them a quick trigger and you take a gracious person and you give them a slower trigger, she would say, I need you to step in. And I would say, you know, if you just back off a little bit, I was getting ready to, but... Mm-hmm. bang and then no, you've already done it there's nothing left for me to do except try to pick up the pieces right and so you know we had to talk about now there were a couple of several notable exceptions and one is um when the kids were smaller and i could tell they had pushed monica's buttons and they were pushing her pushing her pushing her and i would walk in the door from work and i could you know in 10 seconds realize oh boy we've got mutiny on the bounty here right and Monica's pushed to her limits. You know, I never raised my voice at my kids, but there's a way to speak to your child with intensity, and they know uh, that you mean what you say. Um, and so I, when I would understand that was the case, I would walk into the room where the kids were, and I would say, okay, all three of you on the couch right now. Whatever they were doing, it quit right then. And they went and got on the couch, 
And they knew they had crossed the line they were about ready to be held accountable for. But before I would deal with what it was they had actually done, the first thing I would deal with is, I have watched what you have done to your mother, and that's not okay. And I will not allow you to do that in our home. And then I would sow the value of treasuring their mother, and then I would go to work on whatever their behavior was. But that's where Monica needed me to come in and be that, even though I was usually the gracious guy. Now, I also have to tell you that if you don't laugh at your kids, play with your kids, tickle with your kids, run around. You know, when our kids were little, I was sort of like the fourth kid in the house, right? I played... (laughs) Always tough on the moms. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But I would run around and play with the kids, and we'd slide down the stairs, and we'd take... We'd do all this kind of stuff. And, and I purposely put myself in great physical contact with them. I'd hold them on my lap. We'd do crazy stuff. I was doing all of that stuff so that they would feel fully comfortable with me and know that I was on their side, okay? Because when I had to look at them and say, on the couch right now, they weren't wondering if all hell was going to break loose. They knew, okay, this is my dad who loves me and loves to be with me, but I've done something that is disappointing to him. We kind of answered this the first time. There's all different questions on the other one. So rather than spend time on that, I just want to say to you that God knew when you got married that you had an opposite situation there. He already knows you're going to have this child. And God still accepts each one of us as we are. So there needs to be a little bit of discipline and a little bit of grace, okay, in every child's life. And so they break. It's more important that you agree on values. It's more important that you both have the common no, that child should not sass us, or mm-hmm. that child should come on that first command, you know. In other words, mm-hmm. it's time to go brush your teeth and get ready for bed. Whether that was said in grace and there's a little bit too much ease for the other parent, it's just important that, I know, that's exactly right. So I will back up with. And the graceful person, I know Ram would often say, what your mother said is true. And then he would say it in a way that had that little more graceful feel to it. So you're looking, and you really are, um, uh, a unity. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important thing, is that you agree on that. Yep. What kind of feedback or advice do you have when you try to instill certain values such as obedience and respect with your children and mine are seven and nine Mm -hmm. and try to be persistent with that yet at least at home I've been told at other locations they're awesome and been encouraged that thankfully it's fallen through somewhere (laughs) yeah Yeah. Um, but it's not happening at home right well Uh, Okay. Number one, without meaning, without wanting to be abrupt with you at all, okay? The fact that you recognize that your children are different when they're away from you, at some point you have to realize, I'm doing something that's bringing out that behavior in them. Okay? Now, you might not be doing something that brings it out. You're doing something that allows that behavior in them. I sat with a group of church leaders one time who hated their church. And I said, you either have to agree that this church is what you've created or it's at least what you've allowed it to become. Okay? 
as parents, that's what you have to look at, okay? So then you have to, you have to go, okay, how do I change that? Your children, even though they're past five, if, if you are willing to go through three to four days of hell, you can change that, okay? If your children are much older, I would say, no, you can't. It, that's, that's already done. But the reason I'm saying it's three to four days of hell is because <clears throat> two things. Anytime a child chooses a behavior, they can and should be held accountable for it. Okay? And that's true all the way from a child that's six months old that chooses to throw their oatmeal on the floor. Okay? They deliberately did it. They can be taught not to throw their oatmeal on the floor. Okay? So that's number one. And, and number two is... Um, never give a child a command that you're not willing to back up. Not that you're not willing to give again. I didn't say that. Okay? You, so you have to... I, I watch parents give meaningless commands to their kids. And what they're really saying is, I hope you do that. But if you don't, I'm not going to do anything about it. Except I'm going to tell it to you again. I'm going to tell it to you again. I'm going to tell it to you again until I'm either disgusted with you or disgusted with me or you give in and do it. Okay? And that's actually training them for disobedience. Training them for obedience. And this is where the three or four days of hell comes in. Is you sit down with your children and you say, there's a new sheriff in town. Okay? And that means that the rules are going to change. Okay? From this point on, I'm never going to give you a command that I will not back up. So I'm not going to give you a thoughtless command. So when I give you a command, I've thought it through, and that's exactly what I want you to do, and I will hold you accountable to do it. And then when they don't do it, you come down. You don't say it again. You come down. You don't say, ah, 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 what did I say? Nope. No nagging. Nope. None of that. It's okay. You know the rule, and you did that. Here's the consequence. And it has to be swift. It has to be painful for them. And it has to be done quickly. Because then you want that relationship to normalize again, right? Okay? But, yeah, it will take three or four days where you think you're going to pull your hair out. Well, let but me if, explain something, too. Yeah. Let me make it a little more applicable. I've noticed in teaching school, when people say that to me as a teacher, how in the world are they so good here? And I, you can't even believe what we have in our house. So I say to them, okay, start with some basics. You heard us talk about um, start having meals on time, hell or high water. You're going to have a routine in the house. You're going to have a calm routine. And I mean really a routine. We all get up at the same time. We're going to sit and have dinner. You, uh, put on music. So, I mean, And I would not go for their, their level of rock. I would definitely say... You know, put in something. They say classical music is, um, I used it in the classroom in the sixth grade. It, it brings a calm you're just going to be surprised about. So put that on before dinner gets started. You have dinner. You begin by corralling. These are little corrals of we're going to talk about. So we're each going to take a turn telling something fun in our day, um, something funny somebody did. You know, you're showing you're getting into their world. Then have a routine that's kind of place. Have them help you. Do a family meeting at this age. What would be, um, what would be things we need to do in the morning before we leave for school? What, what do you think we should do? And maybe have three things, you know, just three things that they do. And there's some kind of a star reward. 
as it says, all right, you did it this way. So whoever gets to seven, you're going to have some, and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but save all of your treats, movies, TV, everything for reward. That takes away the negative. You did this and da, da, da. Sometimes you have to be negative. But what you're going to do is get them reversed. And then you constantly say to them, um, you know, a team, we are doing good. You know, it's cool. I did all mine, and you're right up there on the chart. <laughs> I did mine. They did. Oh, look. Okay, we're only short one. We can do this, you guys. We can have seven days. And then I've got a surprise for you. And, you know, depending on how hard they work, make it the bigger surprise. But when you take away and reduce their world into simplistic that the homework is done at the same time, in the same place. I know that seems redundant, but parents don't realize how calm that makes your home. So much. You have a classical music going softly in the background. You just got to bring their wild world in and make it soft and be part of that process. Not, I'm okay, but you're not. <laughs> Let's get this fixed. Just put yourself down in it. We're a team. It creates that family value. Does that make sense? Yeah, and try to reverse it into a reward kind of thing at this age that they want to be on your team and they like home and that, wow, our mom's kind of fun, you know. It is sad, very, very sad. Yeah, she's, I'm just for recording, she's saying that she hates the negative yeah. and, and the positive. And um, I will tell this for everybody that's listening on the podcast we didn't, we address special needs kids, but I think we need to also address single parent. And especially at these training years, it'd be so good for you to see if you could not work and you'll get some rejections, but see if you can't find a male figure that will come in and talk to your kids for the same purpose of, hey, you guys, you need to support support mom. Find somebody who's doing it really well that takes the kids and talks to them and then does an accountability once a month or something that somebody speaks into their life that they're good kids, and that, you know, mom's trying her best, but um, you, it takes you guys, you're old enough now, you can support mom, or, and I mean, mm-hmm. there's some dads, single dads out there that yep. need a lot of the female in the family. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you, guys. Um, yeah. They have a meeting to go to, or and mm-hmm. Ron and mm-hmm. the rest of the staff do, um, but we're going to wrap it up there. If you yeah. have other questions, mm-hmm. um, you can just write down your question really mm-hmm. quick. I'll make sure it gets uh, asked By at the night mm-hmm. one. But, um, yeah, and we'll, we'll put this up on the podcast tonight and mm-hmm. should be there by tomorrow. All right. And I encourage so you, you can, to listen to yep. the both of those because they yeah, all listen, have different questions. We'll, put it, we'll combine them all yeah. into one. It was interesting. So, yeah, there's a lot of you'll, – you'll get uh, a lot of information and it'll be good to listen to a few times. Thanks. Thank, thank you. Thank you. you. <laughs> like, uh, I mentioned in the lobby that uh, it was very new to me here about not putting kids on restriction – um, prolonging discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give an example of something that happened and then how you dealt with it within the, you know, very quick time frame? Sure. He's, he's asking for a story. Um. <clears throat> Hello, test. Testing. I mean, I have to hit this thing in the chest. This thing that says on. He says it's on mute. Hello. Let me just start while he's fiddling with the equipment. Um, the ages of grade school, you, where, where it was kind of more um, prevalent, 
um, the big things of junior high, mostly high school, were f a little bit farther apart and not as many of them by the time they were in high school. So our biggest problem with that would be um, at ages 7 through 10. And um, <clears throat> I'm a big proponent of having the discussion about what happened and leaving them with um, either, let, let, let me, I'm going to give some more thought to what the consequence of this is going to be. You know, especially if it wasn't something that you'd already set a consequence. There's some things in families you just need to say, if you do this, this is what will happen. So a behavior slip from school was a very light supper and straight to bed. Because to me, sometimes kids' behaviors are just, they're exhausted, and this stuff is too chaotic in our family kind of thing. So, you know, I would just say that was the, that was in like an instant, you know. And often it was, it ended up with a spanking if it was a really bad offense at school. But the, um, I am also a, just a big proponent of telling them I would think about it and come back to them. That time while they're waiting for you to decide what you're going to do for a consequence is so painful for them because they're just waiting for the foot to drop, you know, come down. And the other thing that I've done and tons of families do is they'll say, what do you think the punishment should be? And crazy, they come down harder on them than you would. Almost always. They'll say, well, yeah. You know. So there's, you could, I just think you should not be so predictable as a parent. Very consistent. Very consistent. Something will happen. But you want them to stop and think about it. So either they could choose, help you choose something, or... Um, you're going to tell them later. And that might mean that they're going to, we were going to go get ice cream as family, but you know what? I don't think we're going to because, you know, you, you did what you did. And you're referring back to it and then let it go. You know, what age are you talking about? <laughs> 10 through 12. Okay. Um, usually what, what works on that? is if there's um, a special privilege that you have for them, um, you say, I'm sorry, you forfeited that, that special privilege. Because those are things that we give uh, out when you behave as you know you should. Um, and, okay, we didn't raise our kids in the video age. <laughs> okay. So they didn't have Game Boys and they didn't have Xbox and all that kind of stuff. But you have to figure out what it is that they really enjoy. And the interesting thing is, if they really enjoy Xbox or whatever it is, if you take that away from them for one day, it usually is the same. It will affect them the same as taking it away for a week. Mm-hmm. So why not take it away for one day and then get everything back to normal? And you know how parenting cycles, like they're doing really, really good, and you think, oh, finally, we got through. Well, remember, you know, you've already lived long enough that they, that goes back into bad behavior. Sometimes you get to be, when you're a little intentional and you're planning ahead, um, go in quickly into a reward system. In other words, there will be no electronics, and there will be no play dates. But you don't have to say it in the negative. You can say, we're going to do something different. When you have a good day at school, it'll be one star. Or when we go and pray with you at night, 
and you've had a really good day, we're going to put a star up there. And after five stars, we will let you choose. You know, you can have 45 minutes of time on the electronics. Kind of turn it into a positive sometimes. You can use tickets, you can use stars, you can have their own little jar, and they really kind of get a satisfaction that, oh, hey, I could do this. I have three more to go. That helps. Yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Yeah, okay, so the great thing that Monica ended with was that the Lord's mercies are new every day. This is why they let Justin do this earlier, because he doesn't add on, because he doesn't preach too. But what that reminded me of, Monica, was that... Um, I think they're our goal is it. to correct and then restore as parents, right? Correct right, our yes. children and then restore them. Restore. And when we, when we discipline over the course of a month, you're grounded for a month, we're punitive, but we don't restore. And the goal is to correct our kids and then restore the relationship yeah. afterwards. Yeah. That was a great question and great answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, other questions out there? Yeah. I'm not quite sure how to word this. Um, when you were raising your children, um, I know that they all grew up, you know, loving God and that was the center of your home, but when it hasn't always been that way, um, and you, you know, yourself as a parent, like, I have a very strong faith, and my kids do, I mean, they've been, my youngest two are 10 and 12, and um, they, they do have a strong faith, and they have an understanding, but when they get to be that age, I've noticed that that's not really something that they're, it's, I don't want it to ever seem like a chore, you know, to study your Bible or to, you know, understand, you know, how God wants you to live your life. You know, that's what you go by. And they kind of get to that place where they're like, oh, okay, God so love the world. And, you know, I mean, they're rattling off things just out of, you know, uh, memorization or something. Yeah, memorization. And it seems like, I mean, I want them to have that fire in You're them. You're feeling they're you know? going farther away. Right. And I want to be a better example for them. And I'm not quite sure, okay, well, if they see me doing this, they're not at that age anymore where that's going to really, they're going to say, oh, good, mom's busy. I'm going to go do this. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah. um, I don't want it to seem like a chore or something that, you know, they'd rather do vibrant, this. Right, active, and relevant active. to their lives. And it's really great hard for me question. to find a great balance where, because I don't want them to resent, great. you know, God or the yeah. Christian faith because I want it to be something mm-hmm. that they also choose. No, we get you. Yeah, Can there's, um, yeah, um, what I'm hearing you say is you want it to be a want to for them, not a have to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest one of the biggest ways that you can make it a want to for them is you have to help them connect the dots between what God wants to do in their life and how that can make their life better. Okay. With all three of our children at different times when they were struggling with some issue. Um, whether it could be anything from being kind to their siblings <coughs> or not doing well in math uh, at whatever age or whatever, um, we said, okay, we're going to pray about that. And then we would say, okay, if this is a really big problem, here's what we're going to do. For the next week, we're going to get out of bed five minutes earlier than we normally do, and we're going to get right down on our knees right here at your bed. And we're going to pray about that every day because God will meet you and God will help you succeed in this. And so we, we just started building this relationship between them and God where they didn't see God as a have to. They saw God as someone who was walking through life with them and that they wanted to connect with. But, but that also got coupled with 
them working in ministry. And we never said to our children, you have to work in ministry. They saw us working in ministry and they said, hey, can we go to church and serve doing this? And I'm watching our grandchildren. They all do that. Now, our oldest grandchild is 11, right? Yeah, he'll be 12. He's going to be 12 in July. He already works in ministry. Our next oldest granddaughter is 9. She already works in ministry. Okay? So this is not a have to for them. It's already a want to. So I would say get involved in ministry and invite your child to come along with you. Say, hey, let's go to church and serve. This is fun. You can, there's all sorts of things you can do in our church, and that really helps. I would, I would step back just a little bit, too. Um, I noticed that the families, once you bond with other families that have kids your same age, it becomes this little community. You end up having somebody to talk to after church, and they start to make friends. It doesn't look like they are. They might be running around, or they're like, they might even look like they're by themselves, but they'll end up kind of over by somebody else who's sort of by themselves that's their age. Or they're just observing. If they find out that this is your real community, take it from the world. Or Do you live in Petaluma? Yes, it's our community, but bring it in. Okay, here's our real community, because your hearts are with God. She said, this is our community. We hang out. We get to know some other couples. See if you can do it. Try to get others to connect your kids together. And then um, they are not too old for what's called an I see Lisa back there somewhere. Is it the action Bible that you're reading? Yeah. Well, they read it um, every morning. You're reading it in the mornings. I know that. Those kids are spellbound. <clears throat> and when that Bible movie came out this year, the seven-week series, those kids knew who those people were before we could recognize where we were in the story. I mean, they were so into it. So if you, do, if you put together your connection here, seeing other kids... Um, talking to Angela and Kevin about how to get involved where the kids can be involved. And it just makes them feel comfortable. It's fun, too. And that's what we learned when our kids were that age. They loved if they said, yeah, we just start visiting and keep visiting and keep visiting. And they had that, like, an hour to play with the kids and just talk to them and hang out. You can't believe how that excites them. That becomes the in place to be. And especially when we do get our family life pastor you know, you'll really want them to be connected there because then it's just going to happen instant. I promise you, it will. So pray hard for that pastor. Yeah, great question. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You're welcome. Yep, in the back. Oh, sorry. Hello. <laughs> I have a, t- a question coming from a teaching standpoint um, because I teach junior hires and so sometimes I'm giving advice to families mm-hmm. and you're talking about those junior high years being the coaching years? Yeah. Part of that, is that right? Yes. Um, okay, That's so I just wanted to know, um, so oftentimes I'm talking to parents about giving their kids more boundaries and about those privileges and responsibilities. And if you demonstrate responsibility, then you can have certain privileges and, and you know, giving and taking away and kind of knowing what their favorite thing is and that's available if X, Y, and Z gets done. But I just, I think I wanted you to elaborate a little bit more about the coaching because it almost sounded like you don't have that kind of control or like, you know, I, I don't know if I'm making my question oh, clear. She's, you know what she's doing? Yeah, you, she's, you're making a lot of sense. 
And that, that really varies depending upon, you know, some kids at 12 are already starting to mature. And some kids at 12 are still, still have baby fat and still, okay? So you have to sort of time it based upon when they start to mature. Uh, but prior to that, no, you can't slip into the coaching role uh, when your child is clearly not ready to exercise that kind of control in their own life. Okay? So, yeah, for the sake of the chart, we put 12 up there. But for some kids, you can't slip into that role until they're 14 or 15. For other kids, you have to slip into it at that age. Is that making sense to you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think I think a lot of parents, um, you know, that's when, you know how Ron said, they wake up and go, oh, my word, things are out of control. And they don't have the one teacher that they're used to working with. You know, when they could go to the one teacher and get advice, where you're in a junior high, where, you know, you're getting, you know, they've, as a parent, you feel like you've really lost your kids because instead of one teacher you can connect with, it's like, oh, my word, I don't even know how to get into this school and talk to anybody. So if you get that opportunity, you know, I... Beth, I don't know what, if you get to ask them questions, I would ask them a lot of questions about what their home's like. But seriously, <clears throat> just in talking around here and parents of that age, they already are starting to get behind the ball of how to handle their kids. And so <clears throat> chaos at home. And if you can get them to understand that those are, those are development years, those are huge growing years. I mean, you know about the brain and... You know, that it's finishing up one section, and then those of you that don't know that, where they're just recently finding out that the whole front lobe is just getting into formation and uh, finished development at around 16. So this is why they go kind of weird again at 16, like they were when they were in junior high. That was really good knowledge. But if you could get those parents to understand the value of feeding those kids on a schedule... And getting them to take away all electronics for half the night. I mean, that's we've had them live with us, and they're on the phone at 3 in the morning talking to other students. <clears throat> that's some stuff that I think that most parents would go, really? Yeah, you need to check that. I mean, how much food, good food is your kids getting? How much routine is there? Are they doing homework at the same time? Turn off the electronics. What their brain needs is there's so much out there they just need calmness, you know, and that's where, that's where I think it comes into coaching because they can't say no, but they can say, we're going to try something to see if it helps the whole family and helps you at school. And if they state that up front and then they define it, <clears throat> Beth, a really good book you could read and then pull from it is called The DNA of a Parent-Teen Relationship. It's dynamite. I've got one I'd loan you, if you'll just remind me. But <clears throat> if you pull that out, there are so many junior high principals in there, they'll knock your socks off. It's a great book and an easy read. Yeah, really easy. That's great. Amen. That's great. More questions? <laughs> Did you want to go wrong? Did I interrupt? Sorry. Nope. Got, okay. <laughs> I'm good. She said it better you than I You got it from the pro. Anybody else? All right, I know some of you guys are wondering this question. Some people SWAT, some people don't. You chose to, but I'm guessing you had some guidelines around that in terms of how, how old they were when you stopped SWATting, why you would do that, and when you would do that. Could you expand on that? Sure. 
Um, well, this is one of the things that Monica referred to earlier when she said our first, um, our first source of parenting information was the Bible. And the Bible is not politically correct. God, God feels no pressure to be politically correct. And uh, there's a verse in the Bible that goes like this. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And that's not politically correct. I can just tell you it works. Okay? Now you have to use judgment when, where, and how you do that. Don't go to Safeway and spank your kids. Okay? Or, or you're going to get to know Child Protective Services really well. Really well. Okay? So you have to find a way to do this in the privacy of your home. But we had, we had certain rules and guidelines about that. First of all, if, ch- if your child is approaching the teenage years, forget that, okay? The window is passed. You're done. You're not, that's not going to work, okay? only works with very small children, and you should have done the vast majority of your spanking of children. You should have it done long before they go to school, okay? But it works really, really well with young children if it's administered correctly, never in anger, and there, there's explanation, there's love, um, but in order for it to work, it actually has to hurt. Okay? I watch parents swat at their kids. There's no explanation. They're actually mad at the child. And, and they're, they're, that's terrible. Okay? If that's how you're going to do it, don't do it at all. Yeah, it's pro- it actually does more damage. Okay? So when we spanked our children, it was usually, you go to your room, I will be there in a minute. And we saved it okay. for the greater offenses. Yeah. For us, one of the greater offenses was lying. We kind of saved it for that. Because it's hard to get the habit of lying stopped in a child. So we kind of saved our toughest ones for those. There were a few others, but others yeah. we tried to find other. Yeah, we tried ones. to make it that it was only the bigger offenses. But I can tell you this. Monica and I, behind the scenes, would call spankings attitude adjustments. It was amazing. A child would be unhappy, and they're picking at this, and they're picking at that, and they're grumping at this, and they're, you know, and, and, and they're not doing anything really, really bad. They're just a mess, right? They're not happy. No one's happy. And then they will do something that's over the line. And you say, okay, you go to your bedroom. I'll be in there in a minute. Now, the reason we would send them to their bedroom was be- for a couple reasons. First of all, we wanted them to think about what they had done. Okay? The second reason was we had to make sure that whatever, whatever frustration we had at that point, we dealt with our frustration first. So there was no anger. There was no frustration. And when we went to the bedroom, it was all about correcting their behavior and siding with them against the behavior they were choosing. We were not on them about their behavior. We were partnering with them to make good choices in life. And when you make that kind of choice, then you don't leave me any choice but to discipline you for that. So do you understand why you're going to get a spanking? Yeah, okay, why is it? And they would tell me, okay. And then, okay, it's time for the spanking, turn over. And those were never fun times. They were terrible times. And so the swats would hurt. And when it was done, okay, They would cry, but we would never allow them to cry an angry cry. 
And if you know your children, you know when they're angry. It was never about that. And then we would sit, we would hug, we would love, and it was done. The whole thing didn't take more than four or five minutes. And sin was atoned for, life was good, and you know, the child would leave the room and they'd have a great rest of the day. It was amazing. Their attitude changed. And I remember so many times Monica and I would look at each other and go, what do parents do that don't spank? There's no end to that. <laughs> it's just a mess. So that's how we did it. Yeah. I, I got a lot of spankings when I was little. Um, knowing my personality, I'm sure I bucked the system every chance I got. And But you know what? I don't remember my spankings in anger. That helped me decide that there were times that I needed to use that for my children. Ron's mother told me, I think even before I married him, she some classes, I took parenting classes from her. And then later after I ended up marrying in the family, she told me that he got more spankings than the two brothers put together. So I've always said to people, if Pastor Ron needed that many spankings, <laughs> you know, you can, you can take it that, you know, we have to do some. Because, I mean, there's, if there's a willfulness, where are you going to take care of that when they're 12? Those of you who've had 12-year-olds know, whoa, nope, won't be then. Um, is it going to be 15? I mean, when are you going to break that? If you do your homework on one through five, you, you honestly hardly need to. I mean, it's yeah, so I, awesome. I got most of my spankings before I went to school. Yeah. Yeah, but I got plenty. Yes. All right, thanks. That's, a, that's great. Is that answering thanks. what you're kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah, that, that's great. That's fantastic. Thanks so much. Do remember, though, that if you just swat... Um, even even through a diaper or pull-ups and that kind of thing, you really watch them. Watch them. They will get angry at you right. for that because you didn't quite get their attention. And what you're wanting is, buddy, I am, I, God's given me to be your helper, your policeman, and so guess what? And I, for those of you who have older kids, I've told people for years, <clears throat> be sure that you get into place the fact that the reason they're in trouble is they chose a wrong behavior don't come out as the big guy the bad guy it, it wasn't you it was something they chose to do that's gotten them in trouble so be sure and make that kind of a habit to say well now wait a minute before you get real upset about being in trouble you chose to do did you know you might get in trouble they'll say well yeah yeah well okay so if you don't want to come against me and get a discipline then you need to choose, think before you do it. And then often in trying to help develop them out of a habit, I would say, ooh, are you, what, are you sure you want to choose to do that? Just a little hint, you know, and then to see how, how much progress are we making in that behavior. That's great, thanks. Mm-hmm. Other questions? Yeah. So um, we're in the one to five range, okay. uh, three times over. Congratulations. And um, how do you get, um, what's your strategy for making sure that they obey the first time that you command them? Well, we're not sure we're going to say the right thing. If you listen to the podcast, it's, gonna, it's in the first service. So if they're labeled, it's that, per, that was asked in the first service. So you can listen to that. Um, do you want to start, honey, since I just ended? Sure. I would, I would say two principles. Most people do not believe their children are capable of what their children are actually capable of. 
We okay. call it smarter than the parents. Right. Okay. <laughs> so Monica and I early on decided that if a child was old enough to deliberately choose a behavior, they, then they could be trained not to choose that behavior. Okay? And that's everything from taking their oatmeal and dumping it on the floor at six months or whatever that age is. Okay? I think he's forgotten. It's been a while. <laughs> okay. How, it's okay. Ten months. All right. There you go. All right. When they're sitting in their high chair, no, you don't take your oatmeal and put it on your head. Okay? And you can be taught not to do that. So, you know, I watch parents with kids, and the kids will look at their parents and go do something they know their parents don't want them to do. And they're looking at their parents when they do it. And the parents go, you shouldn't do that. No, you go discipline that child. Okay? Because if they're old enough to choose that behavior, they're old enough to choose not to do that behavior. Okay? So, most parents are very capable of training their children to third and fourth time obedience. If I tell you, and then I tell you again, and then I tell you again, and then I get really upset, and you go do it? Well, the deal is, if you can train your children to fourth-time obedience, you can train them to first time. You just have to do the first time what you were going to do the fourth time. Okay? So, that means you don't ever give your children an empty command. If you say to your child, go sit down, and they don't go sit down, you have to go back that up. And you don't back it up by telling them again and again. You go back it up by some form of discipline that teaches them, the first time I say that to you, you do that. D- does that make sense to you? Yeah. Kind of. Now, it's hard, but all children can be taught first-time obedience. Mm-hmm. Remember, remember, guys, that you're, you don't do empty commands. I mean, you have to kind of... His mother taught me... Don't childproof your house. She goes, don't do that. You put down some things you don't mind get broken, but they're going to represent your best crystal vase. Or, you know, I mean, take the take and put a mock um, remote down, you know, from another one that doesn't work, you know, exactly, and put your other ones up. But what you're doing is using that one to train. Does that make sense? So you leave some stuff out that you go, no. The little, little ones, if you start when they're able to pull themselves up to the, up to the table and you say, okay, you point to it and you go, no, no. And I do have to tell you that after training dogs and watching my daughter train dogs, we decided that everybody that needed, had children should go to dog training because they tell you less words, one word, one word. And we, we do this when they're too little to understand. So it's no and they'll look right at you and start to touch it. No. They touch it. Now, is this true? This is what they do. You go, uh, no. And I mean, I think almost every child gets their tears pulled together, waits a minute, and either you've done your back, you've turned your back, or not. Some of them are so brazen, and they'll reach right over there and do it again. I can't remember which child, which is good, I can't remember. But we would do that three to four times, the slapping. You know, just that strong. And remember, the stronger their will, the bigger leader potential is in that child. So don't say that they're untrainable and da-da-da and throw them off. Those are your leadership kids. Hence all the spankings I got. That's right. Yeah. It's true. It is true. There's a perfect example of it. 
He just, he had such a leadership, he probably thought he could do it better than his mom. My guess is he really did. And so he just pushed her and pushed her and pushed her. And her only recourse was to, to trim his feathers. Can I know? say one thing yeah. that Mon- Ron and Monica taught my wife and I, because we've got young kids, which is make sure mom and dad are on the same page. So before you go that path, make sure you're both going to do that. And make sure you're yeah. both okay with it. Because my wife has a really hard time with swats, has a really hard time with swatting the hand. And when our, our daughter, our, young, our oldest was born, I was like, I, I can't do it. She'd start to cry, you know? So we had to have some <laughs> long conversations at night. No, we need to do this. We need to train our kids yeah. and guide our kids so we were on the same page. Because if mom and dad aren't on the same page, they're, they're too smart for us. They just, they overpower us. They overrun us. You're three on two. So like, you're in trouble. You got three kids. You got to get on the same page. So that's just been a huge yeah. thing for us that Ron and Monica taught us early but on. You know what? This is easier to me than a spanking. I'm sorry. You know, it really is for me. And I was more the disciplinarian than Ron was. But that's where it got to my heart. But I really quickly said, oh my word, if I do this hand thing between one and three, they know I mean business. Mm, maybe I won't have to spank quite so much. And you know what? It worked. We didn't have as many as other people. <clears throat> I want to say one other thing. Your voice, if you use it correctly, is a very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. And if you yell at your children, they will never hear what you say. Yeah. They will only hear one message. My parents are angry at me. Mm-hmm. That's all they'll hear. So anything you say will never register with them. Okay. But you have some authority in your voice. In, um, even the moms. I know you're talking about no, even, But even, even the moms, the moms. okay? Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you, the average parent whose kid is out of control and they can't get him to, to do first-time obedience, I'll guarantee you if they came to our home and they lived in our home less than one day, they would be first-time obeyers. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. We've done it so many different times. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because when they come in our home and they do something they're not supposed to do, I'll just take them, I'll turn their little face right toward me, and I will say, we don't do that here. Do you understand? And it's over. And you know, I'm a And they know I mean it. Okay? It's all done. Yeah. I'm a kindergarten teacher. You can't touch kids. And you can't yell at kids. So you had to find a way to get through to those kids. And it was truly all in voice and direct you get softer, you get firmer, and you look them in the eye. And that's, it's amazing how far that goes. Yeah. Thank you for remembering that. That's great. Other questions? And by the way, this is an open Q&A time, so feel free to stay until we close it down. But if you have to or run, go. that's okay, too. You're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. But do we have other questions from folks? Good enough, because we said everything we know anyway. All right, fantastic. I was going to say, as I listen to Ron and Monica, I'm thinking, like, they are the Caesar Milan of parenting. This is incredible. You go to their house for one day, and their kid just turns around. So my kids will be coming over tomorrow. They're going to spend the day, and we can just do a sign-up sheet. You can send your kids over for the next month or so. You know what will happen when they go home? No. They will revert to To, to us? Because what works with you. They would find that wouldn't work with us. That's right. right? Lowest common denominator. They go with what works, right? They do. That's it. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Ron, yeah, my wife and I will go to Ron and Monica's house, and we will be trained. Hey, thanks. Thanks, you guys, yeah. for taking your You're time. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. You are welcome. welcome. Yes. <laughs>